Welcome to It's a Music Thing, a podcast about music. Each week, your host tries to bring stories from artists and others in the music industry. Go ahead and subscribe on iTunes. Check us out on all social media. Instagram, at It's a Music Thing MB. Facebook, It's a Music Thing. And the website is itsamusicthing.com. If you feel so inclined, you can drop your host, Dwayne Larson, an email. It's a music thing, MB at gmail.com. Without further ado, here is your host, Dwayne Larson. and welcome back to It's a Music Thing, the podcast. I'm your host, Dwayne Larson. On today's show, it's somebody I've been wanting to have on the show for a very long time. I'm so excited that our schedules finally, you know, matched up, that we could sit down and talk. Unfortunately, you know, it's it's via Zoom, which is how everything's going these days. I would have much rather, you know, sit down in person and talk to this person because... They, they are a force. Um, I've been very fortunate enough to do portraits of them. And I'm I, just watching this person grow. It's been amazing to see their growth. And I'm, I'm incredibly excited to see where they're going to go from here. And enough of this ambiguity, right? Let's, let's, get, to, let's get to where we're, what we're talking about. I sit down and talk to the lead singer of Vagina Witchcraft, Kayla Fernandez. And for you, those of you who don't know, Vagina Witchcraft's a band from Winnipeg here. I don't know how to classify them. They're doom metal, metal, hardcore, hardcore punk. It's heavy music. It's really good. The Their, their debut uh, EP, Vagina Witchcraft, has six songs on it. And I don't know how these six songs don't, like, explode. Because there's so much aggression and... And aggression in a good way, not in a bad way. Aggression, emotion, it just, it's, it's really amazing. And as of the, the release of this podcast, I believe they are, you know, I think they're number two on the UMFM charts here in Winnipeg. And that's pretty amazing for a new band to be charting. I think right now, um, as of this recording, Pup is above them and that's it. And, you know, Pup's amazing. So yeah, I, I get a chance to sit down and talk to Kayla. I've been very fortunate fortunate um i've worked with kayla and they were you know generous enough to to come over and not really knowing even who i was but i wanted to do portraits of 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 them because there's just something about kayla that like it it intrigues me and they are just like i said before they are a force and uh kayla is also an activist they spoke at the black lives matter rally that was held earlier in 2020 here in winnipeg and Kayla was the the final speaker and I'm getting goosebumps just thinking about it just how how they it was they moved the crowd as well as had the crowd in the palm of their hand it was it was incredible Kayla's again they're a force and Kayla is also a poet we get into that and so much more um in in this conversation I'm gonna quit 
prattling on and on because it's you'll you'll hear it all. It's it, it'll it'll all be laid down in in the conversation. Uh, I also want to thank the people from the people. <laughs> Oh, that reminds me of propaganda. Anyway, uh, I also want to thank the, the, the people at uh, the WPG. Um, if you haven't had headed over to the WPG.ca, go check it out. Lots of amazing stuff going on over there. Uh, new articles just about every day. Other great podcasts. I'm, I'm super fortunate to be um, in kind of their podcast. I don't want to say network because that sounds so sterile. They're, they're amazing folks uh, as part of their podcast uh, family, really, with some other really great podcasts. Head over to the WPG.ca, check it out, click through. Um, and yeah, I hope everybody enjoys this conversation because I really enjoyed doing it. So here you go. Here's my conversation with Kayla, with Kayla from Vagina Witchcraft. All right. I guess uh, first and foremost, who am I speaking with today? Uh, my name is Kayla Fernandez. I am the vocalist of the uh, doom metal hardcore band Vagina Witchcraft. Awesome. Thank you so much for doing this. We've we, we've tried to connect a bunch of times and we've I, I'm, I'm so stoked to finally actually, you know, I, I'd love to do this in person because I love talking to you and love yes. seeing your face. But, you know, we're, we're going to do what we got to do right now because that's that's about all we can do. So absolutely it's actually really fucking rad to hear your voice i feel like i haven't heard my friends voices in so long yeah especially the ones that i that i normally communicate with at shows and at live events like it is just such a treat right now i feel like i'm in the twilight zone which is so (laughs) sad but also super interesting but i i appreciate this i miss your voice i miss everything oh my god (laughs) (laughs) And when, when I, when I get a chance, cause like you, you are uh, the front person of a band, but I like to kind of individually talk to folks because when you kind of get that noise of a band, it's people talking over people and which is great and can be fun and get some, from some great banter. But I really love learning about people's kind of, and it sounds so cheesy and I fucking hate saying it so much, but people's musical journeys, um, and I always start off every podcast episode with the same question. And that is, do you remember your first memory of hearing music that was outside of like a nursery rhyme or a lullaby that really kind of stuck with you? <laughs> That's a great question. Um, the first song that comes to mind because the music video as a child terrified me would be Black Hole Sun. Okay. Um, there's one part in the video where this little girl has like cream or like something coming out of her mouth and she's like completely deadpan to the camera. <laughs> and when I was like, I think I was like four or five when that came out or when I saw it on Much Music and I was like, what the hell is this? Jesus. <laughs> like, what is going on? Um, but yeah, that music video really terrified me, but the song was super dope. And then the next memory I can think of that I actually enjoyed was I stole my uncle's copy, my, my uncle's cassette copy of Straight Outta Compton and listened to it in my bedroom. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> That's, I mean, I, I love asking that question. It took a while to actually like form that question and figure it out because like I said, I like to learn about people's journey and it's like everybody for the most part everybody has a different kind of answer for that 
and yeah. which is great. And I mean, it all depends how old you are and all that other stuff. A lot of it come people would be like the Beatles, which I'm not going to lie, and I might get crucified for, but I don't really like the Beatles that much. They're fine. <laughs> I just that's really funny that you say that because I, I, mm, I was actually having a conversation with my partner Dylan about this, and I was like, the Beatles are okay, but like. John Lennon, I don't know. Mm. I don't know. I also might get a flack for saying this. <laughs> well, we'll like... both get flack together then. Okay, sounds good. Flack buddies, here good. for it. Because you're just getting flack for Lennon. I'm getting flack for the the Beatles. Like it, whatever. It's it's fine. My my also growing <laughs> up, my parents didn't like the Beatles and still probably don't. Like my mom called it yeah yeah music. Oh my gosh. And so I never really, you know. That being said, my both my parents listened to uh, polka and that kind of bullshit, and I fucking hate it to this day. But that's for another oh story. Um, yeah, I didn't really get into the Beatles until I was a teenager. Mm-hmm. Like it was because for the most part, my early childhood consisted of my mom listening to stuff like Belle DeVoe and stuff like. Whitney Houston and stuff like Blackstreet and on top of like my grandmother listening to like Kirk Franklin and like a bunch of gospel music Mm -hmm. and then my uncle who just straight up just listened to rap and I was exposed to a lot of different things as a kid musically but um I I didn't know about the Beatles until I heard about them at school and I went to a, a Catholic a Roman Catholic private school in, Mm -hmm. um, in Elmwood. And so I was curious and I asked my dad about them and he seemed really excited that I asked him about the Beatles. And from there he burnt me like a bunch of their CDs and bought me t-shirts. And I listened to them for quite a while, quite a while in my teenage years. And I don't know, there was always something about John Lennon that just like, didn't jive with me Mm -hmm. and so from that I kind of like drifted away from listening to the Beatles and I was also starting to get into like more and more different types of rock music so it was a very interesting time and so I kind of put the Beatles on the shelf for a while and then didn't listen to them for years and recently like Dylan and I started dating in like 2017 so when when we would listen to music and stuff, he like p- would put on the Beatles sometimes, and he's like, "Man, like I really, I really love this." And but it would, it would be like Beatles songs that I had like never actually heard of, mm-hmm, like not the top ten or yeah, top like 20 no, ones. yeah. And I found that those were the like the the top forty ones were definitely the ones that I played in circulation when I was younger. Mm-hmm. So it was really cool. It was really cool to actually listen to like Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band album and have that be kind of a cool new experience for me because i was so used to listening to like the greatest hits mm-hmm. part one or like um the album that i bumped a lot when i was a teenager was the album one. Oh yeah yeah Where, with with all the best yeah the greatest with, like, hits the on best, it and stuff the best of so that was all i really knew of and like they had some songs from Sgt. Pepper, but like I actually got to listen to the album in its entirety for the first time like three years ago. <laughs> and it it's quite good. Mm-hmm. Honestly. I I kind of entered this stuff later on in my life. Like I, I always was a huge fan of hard hard music in my in my late teens and early twenties and now coming into my thirties. But 
it's I feel like it hits differently now that I'm in my yeah. almost 30s. Like when you're young, you're listening. Like I was listening to like Under Oath and kind of stuff like stuff like that. And so when so it was like kind of screamo, like drop dead gorgeous and all this other crap. I don't know. <laughs> but like um I I was listening to it because it satisfied some sort of like need it the music was good to me back then and also it like satisfied a need of like anger that I couldn't actually like because I was in such a constricted space I was in like my mom my biological mom was not the best so I had a lot of anger inside of me that I couldn't actually like formulate into words or formulate into something that was constructive mm -hmm. so I would just listen to music that made me feel satisfied in a way that like my anger could be validated and like <clears throat> from there so when I was like 14 or so I was like writing and uh starting my kind of my descent down the literary route which would be poetry and Shakespeare and that sort of stuff and from there it kind of stemmed into me using music as a way to inspire my own writing so I started to listen to a lot of different things and it kind of progressed into hardcore and it progressed into a love of of angular riffs and breakdowns that just like break your face and your neck and every part of your body because you feel the music in your bones as opposed to using the music when you're a kid as an escape from whatever trauma is going on in your life at that time. So when, when you were younger, like growing up, do you remember the first time you heard like very hard music where really kind of, you were like, it's kind of one of maybe one of those pivotal moments where it was like, Oh shit, what's this? And it kind of hits you different. Do you, do you remember if there's one, like a band that kind of just, caught your attention i would say when i was in grade nine i was going to an all-girl private school and i didn't really have very many friends and like i had there was this one this one girl who i thought was literally the coolest fucking person alive and she gave me her headphones one day and uh live fast die young by the circle jerks was on it oh, okay and I listened to that for the first time and I was like, what the fuck? <laughs> like, that is. These niggas really don't care if they live or die. Yeah. Holy shit. <laughs> and it was just like the brashness of that. And the, the once again, like the angular riffs and the, like, the I don't give a fuck mm -hmm. attitude was everything that I was looking for in my life because I felt like no one was listening to me. I felt like I couldn't actually like do anything that I truly wanted to do because I was in a place in an, in an environment where everything was to the letter by the book, mm -hmm. do it this way or it's no way at all. So it was really cool to have this person introduce me to this like random band that I had no idea existed. And then you know, I found out what a circle jerk was, and then that was a whole experience. And then, <laughs> Jesus, yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then I was like, "Wow, this band is like really fucking sick." And then from there, I listened to Minor Threat, and then from there, I was listening to all of these other fucking bands. And it was 
it was really an awakening for me at that point. And I feel like grade nine, when I had like, after I had left the, um, the private, like the private Catholic school, cause I was also an altar server at this school. Oh. So I would like go to mass every Sunday and like, it was awful. It, oh, so, you're, you're, you're preaching to the choir on that one. I did. Oh, I, I did the same thing. I, I, I was an altar server. Um, very thankfully we, um, had a priest that wasn't a pedophile. I, I don't, I don't, I don't remember a lot of, I remember like having to learn how to like tie the knot correctly for the, the, the robe. Cause there's, the a, robe? there's yeah. a certain way to do that. Um, still even now, cause like, again, I, I feel horrible for anybody that's experienced any, any kind of abuse like that, but we, I didn't have it. Um, as far as I know, no one else in our, our church did. I'm definitely not a religious person. Um, but even going into a church now, there's that smell of like, and it just, it just creeps me out. I don't like it at all. So I, I, I feel, yeah, I, I, I know the altar serving far too well. I, I agree with you on the smell. It's like you walk in and it's a mixture of like, it just smells like salt. Mm-hmm. And like, I, it's something that I like can't describe, but will never forget sort yeah. of thing. And like, I, yeah, I'm not. I, I don't even, I can't even remember the last time I went inside of a church, actually. It's definitely been more than than six years, mm. for sure. Yeah, I just, I... like, don't really feel comfortable with Catholicism, and I don't really feel comfortable with, I guess, like, the effect that it had had on my life. Mm-hmm. And, like, my family, like, super into, like, my my grandmother was very, very is very very catholic roman catholic and like she is fine with how i identify and and believe now but like back when i was a child it was like like children are seen and not heard sort of Mm. thing and like you come to church and you wear your outfit and you kneel when you're supposed to and you stand up when you're supposed to and it was a very like internalized awkwardness where i was like okay well i feel like this prof and i just like don't really know what else to do yeah and then then it's like then there's like the whole existential crisis that comes with like well what do i believe who am i Mm -hmm. you know and then mix that with like a book that literally apparently tells you how you're supposed to live your life and you know what i mean Mm -hmm. like it's just a recipe for and then on top of being queer like it's just a recipe for fucking disaster so i was like i have to drop at least one of these and i'm not dropping being queer and i'm not dropping like no yeah (laughs) so catholicism's gotta go and so so which is i mean that that's great that you realize that early on and um i i was the same way it's like i i just we just stopped going to church because i'm like i I don't want to fucking do this anymore i don't like sitting in there for an hour plus um my mom's religious but not like not like fanatically religious like she's got her like moral values and blah 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 all that stuff but it you know yeah i we we just stopped going um and so I guess around grade nine is kind of your, your, your introduction, like you had said, into, into heavy music and mm-hmm. you're, you're born, raised here in Winnipeg, correct? 
Yes. So yes. when when did you start going to shows? Or do you do you remember your first concert? That's even a, a better one. What <laughs> my d- first concert was the Backstreet Boys <laughs> and Aaron Carter. Nice. At the Winnipeg Arena in 1998, August 4th, I think, 1998. And um, my first like hard show would have actually been I saw Dreadnought oh, at nice. the at the Garrick. Um, I saw them when I was in grade nine. So that was, yeah, when I was 14 years old. And was that that, that first show, seeing Dreadnought at the Garrick? Was that th- was magical. It was yeah. like the first time I ever I ever moshed. It was the first time that I had ever really been around people who were smoking and drinking. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and like it was um it was interesting and then I obviously started to smoke and drink. So I like smoked my first joint in grade 9. I smoked my first cigarette in grade 9. I had my first alcoholic beverage in grade nine. Grade nine was like a very, very, it was a time. Mm -hmm. It was an experience for real. I had all of my very first experiences. So for me, I regard being 14 years old as kind of like the age of where everything, I started to like kind of go down this path of like my musical journey, I Mm. would say, or like musical whatever awakening if you (laughs) it sounds so dumb because it all sounds so cheesy and stupid but it's like but it's really i I need to think of a word that doesn't sound so cheesy and i just couldn't and i'm so glad that you pointed out how cheesy it was oh and fucking is (laughs) it really is because i i again same as you i would have been yeah grade nine grade ten and up until that point like i had listened to i grew up on a farm so it was like in rural saskatchewan so it was Mm. a lot of like country music that's all we got because it was am radio and that's all and then i got like into columbia house and then i like my very first (laughs) it's so bad my very first and i've told the story many times but i don't think i've ever told you the very first two cds i ever bought or ever owned because i'm old so you know cds were were new back in the 92 91 something there um one was brooks and dunn and the other one was 12 inches of snow. And I mean, after that, it was like, then Nirvana came into play. Then, then green for me, like a lot of old, old people like me, green day was like the dookie album was like, there's the album was a fucking game changer. It's like, there's this there, there. What, what is this? And then I just down went and then I moved to a different place in Saskatchewan and fell in with some great folks because um, thankfully again at, at that time in um, um, at our school anyway there wasn't really there was no pecking order like you know when you see on tv on rom-coms or whatever there's like the jocks and the all the, yeah. the different groups we definitely had that but nobody really hated anybody which was very rare it's like we hated a different city and we were competitive with that other city, but like the jocks got along with the skater kids because the skater kids also played hockey. And like, it it was like, it was kind of a melting pot, which was great. And then through actually through hockey is where I met a bunch of punk rockers. And then I started getting more and more. Then I went down the rat hole with punk rock and it was, it brought me to here. Um, 
So did you start attending more and more shows after I did after that? I did. Yeah. I started to go to more and more shows. I started to go to, I went to taste of chaos a couple of years in a row. Yep. Um, skate for cancer. Um, the was one... always a big, was always a big thing. Uh, when I was, when I was a teenager, I loved going to those events. Oh my God. Um, I remember seeing, comeback kid play at the forks mm -hmm. and then they played a secret show after that show above um like the third floor of rag pickers oh yeah yeah oh my god oh my god i that was also a very 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 awakening night for me that was just like i don't want to listen to any other type of music like mm. i don't want anything else but this like this is where I feel most comfortable and this is what I love. And then um, going to shows like, what other shows have I? Oh my God. I feel like it's, Oh, it's, so long. <laughs> it's true. Yeah. Um, um, who else did I see? There was, I remember seeing four years strong, Bring me the horizon. Um, I think those were also at Taste of Chaos. Why am I only remembering Taste of Chaos? <laughs> uh, it's. I mean, I, I I do the same thing with Warp tours in the past, and it's uh, like I also whenever I got a chance to see, because I went to Calgary, I think two or three years in a row, and saw and went to the Warp tour there. I didn't really classify seeing a like I saw bands there, but it's like. You saw them for 30 minutes, maybe 45 if they're headlining. And I'm like, that's, yeah. that's not a headline set. Like, I, yeah. I want to see, like, an hour plus of my favorite bands. Like, it's just, like, a turnstile of, like, get in, get off, get on, go. Like, it's it's fine. But until I saw, like, until I saw Millencolin at the Park Theater, mm. I'd seen Millencolin at the, the Warp Tour before. And then I got kicked in the face. And I'm like, I'm going to move back a little bit because I don't really enjoy getting kicked in the head. Mm -hmm. And then it was like, okay, now I've seen Mill and Colin and it was phenomenal. Even 15 years past. Oh my God. I remember, I remember seeing cancer bats for the first time at the park theater. And that was that, that whole fucking set changed my life. Like seeing them live for the first time changed my life. And and I can say that with absolute certainty. Mm -hmm. And like, and the weirdest thing is, is that Wade McNeil's side project, Black Lungs, opened up for them. Oh, yeah, yeah. And it just, it just makes, it's just so interesting that that would be the first show that I ever see them at. You know? Because yeah. like, I obviously obsessed with Wade, love Alexis on Fire, like, amazing. And like, to see... I don't know. It was just such a cool moment. And I I remember there was one song that I just loved that Wade um, had on his MySpace page. And it was the song that is now on the album, the Black Lungs album, Pagan Holiday, which is For the Love of Ivy. And whenever I would see, like, he played a cover of it. It's a, I believe it's a cover. Um, but he played it at this show 
and I found it on his MySpace page. And I remember when I heard it for the first time, I had forgotten the name of it. But when I heard it on Pagan Holiday for the first time, I like screamed because I was like, I have literally not heard this song for probably 10 years. And to to like hear it on the album and like to hear it just like all beefed up and all sound and all nice and pretty. Mm-hmm. I was like, this is amazing so it was definitely a really cool full circle moment and i actually just bought that record and it just came in the mail nice. for me like two days ago nice yeah and so when when as you start going to like more and more shows and not even like just big mainstream shows but like smaller shows at mm. um smaller venues like the mm. the daughter and stuff yeah um did you ever feel that you know, being a person of color, because I had, I had talked to, uh, um, I did an interview with Joanne Rodriguez from okay. the Sorrells and a million other bands because she's been around mm-hmm. for so long and I love mm-hmm. her dearly. Um, but did you ever feel that you were like being a person of color, like kind of like you were one of the only people there that wasn't like white? Yeah. Oh, yeah. All the time. Every time. Every time, actually. Um, I find it that it's more noticeable, even more so like it was more, it's been more noticeable for me in the last like five years, Mm -hmm. I would say, because I've been more aware, like going, going back to when I would start going to shows in my late, like once I turned 18 and whatever, I didn't really want to acknowledge that fact, even though like people would make comments and like call me like nigga or whatever like mm. when they're when they were drunk in front of these venues and shit like that and like i remember a very vivid moment of like when i had went to pop sodas before it had oh, turned yeah. into the goodwill and like i was just smoking and whatever and then someone came up to me and this like very very white person came up to me just completely hammered and was like sup my nigga and i was like oh my god and I was like, sup? And I pretended like it didn't bother me. Mm-hmm. And that was the catalyst of a very, very long and arduous internal struggle that I had with myself regarding letting people make racist and racially insensitive comments about myself mm-hmm. in public spaces at shows. And I would just sit there and take it because I wanted to make friends and I wanted to fit in. Do you remember the first time you actually confronted someone at like at a show that like said something or said something around you and you were like no this is not fucking okay yeah actually it was at the it was at the handsome daughter and it was someone that i know actually and uh we aren't friends and i don't like them very much but we definitely know of each other and she was drunk and openly said like oh you're such a like was talking to someone who was white but also i was in the vicinity and like she like called her white friend like a fucking nigger and i first off i would like my fists were like balled up Mm -hmm. and i was like i can't i can't do this like i not cute not cute to get arrested plus cops are gross and i don't need that right now yeah so so i was about i would say like 23 years old and i went up to this person and just fucking screamed at her Oh my God. I'm like shaking while talking about this. Yeah. I screamed at her and it was, it was not good. It was not good. 
she was very drunk and she just looked at me and started laughing and I and a bunch of other people started laughing too and it was a really it was a really shitty moment honestly but I I was proud of myself for confronting this person and I was proud of the fact that like I didn't let that slide Mm -hmm. and I think from then on it's been it's been I'm very like almost to a fault like very vigilant on that fact like if anyone makes a fucking comment you better expect me to get either get in your face or to fucking like really really ask you why the fuck you think you have the audacity to say words that aren't yours to fucking say yeah and that and that's honestly you're actually giving me goosebumps right now um because i that's one of the things i love about you is you are unapologetically you whether people agree with you or don't agree with you it's you are just you and i fucking love that because you 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 are also one of the first people when i called you lady or girl or woman or whatever it was you are the first person that's corrected me and been like you know actually i i prefer the or i go by the pronouns they or them and i was like after you had said that I mean, I didn't take, obviously I wouldn't take an offense to it, but I was like, mm-hmm. you're the first person that's ever corrected me. And I, I was just like, I I've never said thank you for that. And thank you for correcting me because I, if, if I don't know, and I, I mean, I feel like I speak for maybe a few people, but it's like, if, if I, if I didn't know that I would have just continued to do that. And I'm glad mm-hmm. that you have that voice to, to, you know, to say that. And I really a, appreciate you saying that. It, it it meant a lot to me that you corrected me. And I'm like, then, and ever since then, I've been hyper vigilant to, you know, to, to try to not watch what I say and not necessarily to you, just to everybody and everyone and try to be, you know, more inclusive. So you woke something up in me with just that little, that little correction. Thank you. I'm really, I'm really glad it makes me really happy that like small interactions like that can really can really add some perspective to to people's lives like I don't know I just I I went through a really long period in my life where I just was so not comfortable with who I was and like spent so much of my life like looking for anything to fill this weird void that I that I know that I had and like once I discovered or once I figured out that I was queer and that I wasn't I didn't identify as male or I didn't identify as female everything was definitely put into place like Mm -hmm. it was like this weird piece that I didn't even know existed because I didn't even know what queer was and then I found out what it was and it was just like it was like coming home. Mm-hmm. It was a very, it was a very, it was a very welcoming feeling. And like, I, I really celebrate that because I think that anyone who has the courage to talk about a time in their life when things didn't really make sense because they weren't identifying with who they truly were and now are it just takes so much strength to do that and and i i just really appreciate that and i think that people who stand vigilant in the face of ignorance regarding gender and regarding 
sexuality is just amazing and gender is a fucking stupid i gender is is a social construct to me mm-hmm. and i i feel like i feel like anyone can be whatever they want like i i don't understand why we put these limitations and these labels on gender like it it just it just confuses me and now that i realize that i don't have to have those labels it it's very freeing to me and it gives me the courage to be more unapologetically me because I feel more comfortable in my skin. And yeah, <laughs> I mean, I, I, I don't even know how to follow that up because it's <laughs> how do, do you remember kind of when you broke that wall down of figuring out who you were? It's definitely been a journey for sure but i and i'm sure it continues to be a journey yeah it it always it always is it's a never ending like life will always be this like weird journey but it's something that like i i take so seriously and i know that i shouldn't at times but it's just because like i put so much pressure on myself and when i when i think of when I think of the first time that I actually broke those walls down, it definitely would would have been after I graduated high school. After I graduated high school, um, I ended up having a child. Um, basically, I thought when I was pregnant that I was going to be in this like heterosexual weird bubble forever Mm -hmm. like I was very very scared and very terrified because nobody in my life told me that I could be queer and not and not have to be like a and not subscribe to female labels like Mm -hmm. nobody nobody told me that I could be a parent and not have to and I I obviously didn't realize this myself so it was a very um it was a very interesting it was a very interesting thing. It caused me a lot of depression and anxiety, actually. And, like, once I um, kind of realized that was the catalyst moment for me, was realizing that I could be a parent and also be someone who didn't have to subscribe to to being this, like, uber-feminine person just because I would want my, my child to to have that i think it's important that my child would hopefully want and i would want for my kid to have them have a parent who's unapologetically them Mm -hmm. and who can be themselves it no matter what so i think that i'm i'm still working on that and i'm still working on being comfortable enough so i can like so i can have that part of my life healed but it's it's definitely it's ongoing like I said earlier but that's definitely the moment that I realized that I could break this wall down and still be myself and around that time I mean obviously you know music is is at least for myself a big healing thing did did music help get you through kind of the 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 darker of days yeah, actually, um, Elliot Smith and Eddie Vedder were two of the main artists that I listened to when I was pregnant. 
Um, I actually named my child after Elliot Smith because when she kicked inside of me for the first time, Angel in the Snow from the album New Moon was playing. And I named her Peyton Elliot because of that. Oh, nice. Yeah. That's, I mean, that that's amazing. I yeah. Also, I shouldn't, maybe I shouldn't tell you then I don't like Eddie better, but you know. I, you know what? I'm not really a fan of Pearl Jam. The only Eddie Vedder I fuck with is the Into the Wild soundtrack. And oh, that's the, okay. And that's the only album that I fuck with. Like, I'm not a Pearl Jam fan. I am strictly an Eddie Vedder fan. And that album fucking changed my life. I, I maybe I'll have to have to give that one a go. Maybe it's so uh, it's so unbelievable. It's so simple and so beautiful. And I, oof, I'm here for it. <laughs> and so. You know, um, obviously music plays a huge, um, huge, huge part in your life. And so you had said you had talked earlier before about writing poetry and stuff. Had that mm-hmm. happened all through high school and you're kind of, an, I guess now you're, you're young adult and now adult life? Yeah, actually. I had been writing poetry a, like a lot throughout this entire throughout all of those experiences um it started off as just like journal entries mostly um and then from there I had started to read a lot more poetry like I was getting into Poe I was getting into Shakespeare I was reading like plays and shit Mm -hmm. like my dad was buying me all sorts of shit and I would just (laughs) I just wouldn't ask any questions and I would just read and um he also bought me all three of the of the Lord of the like the Lord of the Rings trilogy so like and the the language used in in those books is just fucking beautiful Mm -hmm. oh my god and I I was definitely inspired by those books in my writing when I was a teenager but um I guess coming to now in my in my now my adult years I would say I've been reading a lot of like it's like James Baldwin, Maya Angelou, Toni Morrison like these are are all people that like my grandmother told me about at a very young age and I was like yeah whatever I don't care about these people <laughs> what whatever yep sure sure <laughs> like, right 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 and like now I revere these people as being like my main inspiration for sticking with poetry and staying with it and I regard my grandmother as kind of being the catalyst of me starting to write so yeah, I'm very thankful to be to have those introductions to those beautiful artists because I definitely like obviously I I probably still would have written, but I I definitely think the content would be very different if mm. I wouldn't have been introduced to those artists. And I mean, this takes us kind of I I guess up to your band or yeah, your band Vagina Witchcraft. And <laughs> I think this is your first band, correct? Correct. And I think I was very lucky and fortunate to see you on stage for the very first time, I believe, with uh, when the Cancer Bats brought you up. Yes. And yes. can you can you tell me, like, what was that experience? Because that obviously awakened something in you that it's like that is a huge catalyst stepping stone pivotal moment in your life where it's like shit this is yep so what what was that experience like for you because i mean oh man no me me knowing that and seeing it and being 
there to see you do that was pretty amazing knowing you now. So what was that like for you to be like, especially with one of your favorite bands? Oh, it was fucking wild. Oh my God. Um, I was so stoned. Oh my God. I was so stoned right at the front of the stage and like, Oh my God. And I just remember like Liam kept glancing at me throughout the whole set. Mm -hmm. And like, I was just singing and screaming and freaking the fuck out. Like I knew every single song on that set list. I was singing everything. And like, I got so excited. Pneumonia Hawk is like one of my faves. So like, I was just singing, whatever, and then all of a sudden, like, the opening riff to George Petit's part start, and then all of a sudden, I just see this, like, tattooed, scrawny arm just, like, poke in my direction, and I was like, oh, fuck yeah, oh, fuck yeah, <laughs> make me please, and then I got up, on, I, I was on the stage, and I was like, oh, shit, oh, f- uh, um, uh, right, <laughs> okay, so then I, like, started to scream and stuff, and then, um, ended up getting a little winded because I kept jumping around and then um, ended up doing the, the ending of it and then crowd surfed my way off the stage and then got brought back up the stage and then Jay and Liam both hugged me and then I yeah, it was amazing. <laughs> it was, I I think that was like one of the one of the first times in a very long time that my mind actually went completely blank. Mm-hmm. Like I like didn't really know what to do. I knew that I wanted to do it and I knew that I was excited. And I remember like coming home after that show, I like kicked my front door open and I was like, you guys will never believe what just fucking happened. <laughs> like, God. and like Seppel was here and he's the bassist and like we hadn't obviously been a band yet and so he was like oh yeah what happened and I was like <laughs> I got pulled up on stage and like oh it was amazing and Dylan's like yeah you had fun and I was like don't patronize me I had a blast <laughs> it was so good and then I ended up selling merch um, like selling merch because um, I believe the year who headlined that year I can't remember Demolition Hammer so basically I was selling like Manitoba Metal Fest like merch t-shirts mm-hmm. um, and also taking tickets for the raffle and so people were like man like were you that were you that person who like got up on stage yesterday and I was like yeah and they were like, you're really good. You should start a band. And I was like, I'll get right on that. Thank you. That's clearly what I was. Yeah. Yeah. First, thank you. And like a few people said that. And I was like, okay, this is so flattering, but so untrue. And I feel like they're just trying to, to, to beef me up, you know? Yeah. To like beef me up a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> like be nice. Maybe, maybe they'll give me like a, a deal on a, a t-shirt, t-shirt or something. Yeah. <laughs> And so I was like, I don't really, nah. So I, I started to kind of write a lot more in that kind of regard. And then Dylan one day was like, do you want to just like jam in the basement? And I was like, yes, yes, I do. 
So we went in the basement and I would just like read my poetry, but also like scream some of it too. Mm -hmm. And in, in the middle of that, I would also like kind of learn how to do breathing exercises. Cause I would be watching like YouTube videos and shit. Um, Cause you know, a bitch ain't got money for a vocal coach. Like, give me a break. <laughs> well, and um, like, like what a lot of people don't know is <clears throat> like you hear how people scream or sing and that takes a lot of, that takes a lot of control. So you have yeah. to learn how to properly do it without completely blowing out your vocal cords. <sighs> it was hard. <laughs> I'm, it was... I'm, I'm sure you had, you know, a couple blowouts. Yeah, I did actually in the beginning. And I'm pretty sure I like did something fucked up at our first show. I know I did because after our after our set, my throat just killed. Mm -hmm. And I was just, ugh. But it was a really good show though. And I was really excited. I think I was just nervous and forgot to do what I was supposed to do mm -hmm. because I was so caught up with the fact that this was our first show and yep. whatever. But like, yeah so we would practice in the basement and stuff and i was really excited about it and then all of a sudden like maybe a week or two after our last practice in the basement i got an instagram message from mikey peters uh, who's the drummer of cancer bats and mm -hmm. agapito and he asked me if i was in a band and i was like uh <laughs> i could i could be <laughs> and, yeah uh, and he's like, well, if you're in a band, you should play with us on August 31st oh, of, nice. year, or of, of 2018. And um, I was like, holy shit, um, I'll talk. I'll talk to the guys, I said, because yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm an idiot. And so um, I spoke to Dylan and I was like, Dylan, I really want to do this. Do you think that you have anyone that we can do music with? <laughs> So he contacted his best friend, Seppel, and also his friend, Julian, and they both were down. And then we didn't have a name for the band until about a week before the show. And Dylan came up with the idea for Vagina Witchcraft. And I was like, that is so dumb. I'm so in. So, <laughs> yeah, that's what happened. We didn't have a logo or anything. So if you look at the poster, it's just like Vagina Witchcraft in like regular font while everyone has all these cool logos and shit. Yeah. Um, my friend at the time gave me an edible granola bar for the show because I was nervous. I had, like, taken the day off of school because I was, like, throwing up all day because I was so terrified. Mm -hmm. And I decided that I wouldn't just take a bite, you know. That's, <laughs> I'm just going to eat the whole thing. I don't care. Yeah. Because that makes sense. Right? That's what you do. <laughs> that's, that's exactly what you do. That's what adults do, yep. Wayne. No, I was oh, adulting that day. Oh, I know. I've 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 done it as well. I've had to speak. <laughs> I I don't do like I'm okay. I'm I'm great one on one or with a few people, but the few times I've had to speak in front of like a few hundred people, yeah, I've I've definitely been, you know, semi cut on some whiskey and just been like, all right, we're I'm 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 good. I'm kind of drunk. I'm I'm a little brave now. Right, and it's just. It's just scary. It was so scary. And like, did the whole set, I was totally fine. But the thing is, is our first song, which was, I believe, supposed to be starting over, I think that was the first song that we played. I like completely missed the cue of the song. 
and then Dylan physically stopped everyone on stage and was like, look at me. Okay, one, two, three. I'm going to nod at you when you sing, okay? And I was like, okay. And then he played the intro to starting over and then gave me the biggest fucking nod. Like it was like a it was like a bow. He literally bowed at me. I just picture him like curtsying to you. <laughs> God. Oh, so accurate. And then um I then started to sing. And that was the one song that I was having a little bit of trouble on my cues. And like plus I was just horribly nervous because mm-hmm. it's very scary especially like the first show and to to have to do that banter in between everyone changing instruments to always because like dylan plays uh drums when he normally plays guitar seppel plays guitar when he normally plays bass and then julian plays bass when he normally plays drums okay so there's like a, a little like two or three minute thing where i had to like talk to people and i was like how's everybody doing that's, I mean, b- bands, hey! bands that have good banter are like, that's a practice goddamn art. Like I've listened to, I mean, also no effects has way too much banter. It's like, okay, shut up and play. Like we, <laughs> we, we came here to see you play music. Don't, don't talk for 15 minutes about dumb shit. It's play so some songs. But and they then, have so much music too. It's oh, like, come on. <laughs> but then bands like Tegan and Sarah, man. Their banter I love is their banter. Oh, it's so love, good. It's so fabulous. Like I'm like, can you can Winnipeg? You, can you just do like a live album with just your banter? Because oh it's Oh my god, I love it. I don't think it's super prepared ever. It's just kind of off the cuff and they just whatever pops into their heads, it's like that's what we're talking about right now. It's so it's so true. I really Oh, I miss Tegan and Sarah. I I was lucky enough to see them. I went on tour um, when I had a record label uh, with one Mm -hmm. of my bands. Mm -hmm. And then I took the bus from Hamilton to Regina because that was where the bus went. And that night that I got into Regina, Tegan and Sarah played a very small show. And uh, my friend Adam, who was the singer in the band, is friends with, oh, I always get them mixed up one of them he was friends with either tegan or sarah because <laughs> they, they liked his old band sewing with nancy and i'm like hey can you get them to put me on the guest list and then i i talked to i think it was sarah and she was very nice and it was great and it was a it was a fun night just to see them in such a small little place and that's the smallest i've ever seen them play and then now they are who they are actually i have a weird tegan and sarah story i Okay, my friend at the time had gotten backstage passes um, to go and see them. And I believe they were performing at the, I want to say Burton Cummings. It was for sure Burton Cummings. And it was when Anne Horse opened up for them. Mm -hmm. If you remember. And um, so what happened was I was in the shower and then all of a sudden I got a phone call and it was... It was my friend, it was my friend, and she had Tegan and Sarah on the phone. So I, like, spoke to both Tegan and Sarah, but I missed their first two calls because I was in the shower. So my friend gave me a piece of paper that they autographed for me that said, To Kayla, dot, 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 pick up the phone. Love, Tegan and Sarah. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, 
It was amazing. I was so excited. I was like, oh my God, did Tegan and Sarah really just get frustrated with me? I am so here for this. And all the, and that takes it right back to the panther. Like that, I, okay. I would have never thought to write something like that. Like pick up the phone. That's, that's <laughs> hilarious. So good. Just, uh, sweethearts they are. And do you still have the, the piece of paper? Oh, you know I yeah, do. Yeah, you do. <laughs> yeah, you do. Holy grail that is. <laughs> There's, I, I like, yeah, I have, I have a few things like that too. I'm, I'm such a nerd collector with music. I, I don't collect like set lists like a lot of folks do. I just, I had. I'm not going to like get in the scrum to try to get it unless maybe it's one of my favorite, favorite bands. But even then I'm, I mean, I've got photos. That's kind of my takeaway from things. Yeah. I'm, I'm kind of the same way now when I was younger, like I used to scrap people for drumsticks and for Mm -hmm. guitar picks, like it all God. And now I'm just like, I would rather like have a, a photo of something than actually go and get a stick or if someone like wants to give me a stick without me having to scrap someone for it then i'm fine with that yeah then it's like yeah okay cool (laughs) and so did you we we grown now (laughs) yeah we're such grown-ups eating cupcakes on a on a weekend for for yes (laughs) well i'm sorry but we ran out of time for this one so i'm splitting it into two parts Not going to ramble on too much. Part two coming next week. Thanks, everybody.